Welcome to the Glasgow Baptist Podcast, where each week we bring you the message from our Sunday morning worship service with Pastor Erdie Carter. We want to help you apply biblical truth to your daily life. Genesis 15, first five verses where we're going to look at this morning. Greg kind of gave you a heads up what we're kind of looking at is, is God's faithfulness. There are times in, in our lives, and I don't know about you, that we lack patience. Anybody want to admit you need patience? Yeah, some of us can freely admit that they need patience. Uh, it reminds me of the two women who were at church, Rhonda and Gladys. They were leaving church one Sunday morning, and Gladys said, well, that was a great message on patience, and Rhonda said, sure was, but he went over five minutes. I don't understand. You know, we, we recognize patience and we see it, but we don't always, we can't always grasp patience. Uh, it's, it's a hard thing for us to do. And certainly during COVID and coming out of COVID, patience has been one of those things that has, has been difficult for a lot of people. In fact, this past week, the Kansas City Star had an article in their paper in which it talked about uh, signs that you see in restaurants and, and there have been some here in our in our area in the Bowling Green area that said please be patient with us uh, we're short-staffed and the Kansas City Star wrote that article because they're seeing that all over the place in the Midwest that that they're short-staffed people and the problem is people are not being very patient that the writer of the article went on to say they were in line at a, at a place of business to, 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 to get a cup of coffee, I believe it was, and as they were standing in line, somebody in front of them became very agitated. Uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't bide their time by looking at their cell phone or just thinking about their list to do. They had to vent and they begin to vent and begin to get angry as they vented. They begin to blame the president. They begin to blame the COVID. They begin to blame everyone. And so by the time they got to the counter to order, this individual was so frustrated and angry, they took it out on the young lady who was taking the drink order. Now this person, this person writing the article said what I really wanted to do is deck the guy but I didn't think that would help the situation or even confront the person and so I they said I felt like that would just escalate the thing and so while the person is venting and anger and is being angry with the young girl taking the order I am behind him rolling my eyes and shaking my head so she knows I understand. Don't, don't be upset, you know, don't take this personally. But that's what's happening. People are not finding patience. And, and we see this all over the place being played out. And what's happening is we we're frustrated and, and listen, 
we, we just admitted, some of us, the rest of us need to be at the altar at the invitation, but we just admitted we don't have patience because we're just impatient people. And, there, and you can do a lot of research. Psychologists have done a lot of research. Why are we impatient? There's a lot of things that make us impatient. Fast food industry has helped us because now we get it fast, hot, and right away. Uh, microwaves. Well, those were the greatest things invented. Now it's, so they said. So now, you know, I, I was, I told, I, th- I think I told it Wednesday night, I was standing at the microwave this week warming up my lunch at the house and couldn't wait the two minutes. It was a minute 58 or 59. I was like, that's enough. And I hit the button. You know, we're impatient people. And it just keeps moving on. Well, this morning, in Genesis 15, we're going to, have a, we're going to see Abram have a conversation, Abraham, at this moment, he's still Abram. He's going to have a conversation with God. And the conversation is going to be about, God, you've not done what you said you'd do. God, you've not acted in the way you said you would act. Now, let's just be honest. We all understand this principle. God acts on his own time, amen? We just don't like God's timing. You see, you didn't amen there. But the truth is, we don't like God's timing. Because we want it our way when we want it, right? But our way's not God's way. And let's just admit right now, God's way is better than our way. Yeah. So if you have your Bibles and you're at Genesis 15, let's stand as we honor the reading of God's word. After these events, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be great. But Abram said... Lord God, what can you give me? Since I am childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abram continued, Look, you have given me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. Now the word of the Lord came to him, This one will not be your heir. Instead, One who comes from your body will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look at the sky and count the stars. If you are able to count them, then he said to him, your offspring will be that numerous. You may be seated. Verse 1 says, after these events. So let me give you the background so we can catch ourselves up to what happens here in these next five verses. In chapter 14, Abram uh, at this moment has realized that Lot and his family have been living in Sodom. This is before Sodom and Gomorrah kind of explodes. Sodom has been um, 
has been captured and Lot and his family have been captured by these four kings and carried off with a lot of other people. Abram has heard about this and learned about this and he gathers some men together to go after them. Now Abram, when he gathers the men to go after them, he gathers 318 fighting men. Men, we got to go. My family, they're They've been captured along with all these other people and their spoil and all their, all their goods, their, their animals. Everything's been captured. We need to go up against these four kings and their, their warriors. 318 men. Let's just be honest. The odds aren't very good in their favor. In fact, Kentucky had a better odds yesterday against Georgia than Abraham has against these four kings. But they go. And as they go, they are successful. Abram and his three band of 318 men are successful. They, 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 they capture and they win. They get Lot and his family back. They get all their possessions back. They, they conquer and they come back. It, it's a it's a historic win. I mean, it's a David and Goliath kind of story before David and Goliath ever was. And the only way they win is because God is on their side. There's no other way you can explain that. So now we come to these verses. We come to this, this chapter 15, and God's having this conversation with Abram because of the victory that has been won. So here's the big idea I want you to catch this morning. There are times when we don't understand what God is doing. There are moments in all of our life, all of our lives, when we don't understand what God is doing. However, we must remember God always does the right thing. Did you catch that? God always does the right thing. There's never a moment that God is ever wrong and has ever done the wrong thing. My grandfather, before he passed away, one of his last pastors, that my, my grandfather, um, my grandfather Carter, never heard him say a negative word about a pastor, never heard him he was the chairman of the deacons. He always was supportive of the church until this one particular pastor. This one particular pastor, he, he, he came to, to struggle and become at odds with. And I couldn't, I didn't know why until he called me or we were together one day and he said, does God lie? Well, Papa, you know the answer to that. You, you know God does not lie. God is always right. God never, God does not lie. Scripture is clear. That's what I thought. Why would you even tell me or ask me that question? You, you know that answer. He said, our pastor got in the pulpit and resigned. Came back the next week and said, God lied to him. He's going to stay. I said, well... It's time for him to move on. <laughs> he didn't hear from God because <laughs> God didn't lie. God always does the right thing. 
We may not understand, we may not like it, but God always does the right thing. So when we look at this text, God comes to this conversation with Abram after this victory. And he wants him to understand that he's right there with him. So let me give you three things from our five verses that we learn here that reminds us that God always does the right thing. The first one is, even when we are in battle, God's doing the right thing, even when we are in battle. Listen, we all face battles. Abram went to battle. He, he took 318 men and he went to do the right thing. When the odds were stacked against him, no matter what the odds are, when you do the right thing, God will reward you even if it seems impossible. Just do the right thing. But you got to do the, the right thing the right way in God's way. The, the text tells us in verse 1 there that he says, I will be your shield. I will be your shield. So let me give you four things that we find when, when God is your shield. I didn't put these in your notes, so you have to write these down. But when you think about that, when you're in battle and God does the right thing, here are four ways that God is your shield. The first one is, he's your shield from your enemies. He's your shield from your enemies. So Abram goes to battle against these four kings. These four kings had attacked. These four kings had robbed, had taken, stolen. They'd done the thing that was disgraceful. Abraham, or Abram on the other hand, or Abraham, has done the thing that honors God. And so he takes 318 men and he goes to fight. God is his shield during this. He's the shield from the enemies. David would tell us this in 2 Samuel. He would say this. He said, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my what, church? My deliverer. My God, my rock, where I seek refuge. Where I seek refuge. My shield, the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You save me from violence. David understands that from his enemies. If there's ever a person in scripture that we know that, that God is a shield from our enemies, it's David. I mean, look at the number of times Saul tried to, to take David out. Look at the number of ways that God protected David. Look at the ways God honored, or David honored God through the process. Each time, God was his shield. But, but God is also our shield from Satan. From Satan. Now we can look a variety of places. We can look at Job. Remember in the book of Job that we find that 
God and Satan are having a conversation, and God says, have you considered my servant Job? And every time that, that they have the conversation, you can do anything, but you cannot take his life. God is always in control. He is the shield. He tells him what he can and cannot do. First Peter reminds us that, to, that our adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a what? Roaring lion. So we know we have, we have one who seeks to destroy us, but we know that Satan has no power over God. But God is a shield for you and I. That if we put our trust in him, he will protect us. He will deliver us. Thirdly, we find that he's our shield over temptation. Temptation. And we know we're all tempted. We know we all fall short of the glory of God. And sometimes we misunderstand our ideas on temptation. We think that we're never going to be tempted beyond our control, but that's not really the case because if we can control our temptations, then why do we need God? We need him as our shield from temptations. So 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul tells us no temptation has overcome upon us except what is common to man. So all of us are experiencing the same temptation. But God is faithful in our temptation. He, didn't, he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. Now listen, what you're able as long as you put your trust in him. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out. What's the way out? It's through Jesus Christ. Get that. It's not that you have the way out. It's the way out is through Christ. So, he's our shield in our temptation. If you were your own way out, why would you need Jesus? You wouldn't. You wouldn't need him for anything. But the way out is through the cross and through Christ. He's the shield. So we have the shield from our enemies. We have the shield from, our, um, from Satan. We have the shield from temptation. And the fourth thing we find in Scripture is the shield of bitterness. You ever found somebody bitter? There's a lot of reasons to be bitter, isn't there? We're coming into a season where those who struggle with bitterness are going to become bitter because the time changes. The sun's going to go down quicker, be dark longer. If that's you, you understand that problem. Bitterness sets in, but you have a shield of bitterness, and that comes through God. Paul tells us in Philippians now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that 
what has happened to me has actually advanced the gospel. And you think, well, what the heck does that have to do with bitterness? Because Paul is speaking here about the trials and tribulation, and yet his focus through the whole thing is on advancing the gospel. So you have to think about why is it are you bitter, and can you not use that that trial, tribulation, that loss of a loved one, that that frustration you experience, can you not turn that to the positive to use it for God's glory? And the only way you do that is having Christ as your shield, recognizing you've gone through that journey for a reason. He didn't put you in that just so he could watch you be miserable. He walked you through that journey. He led you through that for his glory. So are you using it for his glory or for your self-pity, for your pity party, for your own temper tantrum? You have a shield through bitterness. The question is, how well are you doing it? So, even in our battles, he is with us. God is always right, even in the midst of our battles. Second thing is, God is always right, even when we don't understand. Catch that. Even when we don't understand, God is always right. As you've gotten older, how many recognize that your parents were right? Yeah. How many hated to admit that? Yeah. You know, it was one of those things as you've gotten older, you went, eh, they were right. Why didn't I think of that before? Why didn't I see that? You know, we didn't understand it at, at one point. At one, one moment in our life, we didn't quite grasp that concept. We didn't understand. But our parents were right. The same way spiritually, God's always right even when we don't understand. God, I don't understand why. Mary Martha could have said, Jesus, I don't understand. Why didn't you come sooner? We sent word to you sooner. Our brother would have been alive. Why didn't you come sooner? Because there was a reason. What was the reason? I wanted him dead. That's not the news I wanted to hear, but that's what he wanted. Why? Because I want you to watch this. Lazarus, come forth. Everybody had seen Jesus heal the sick. They hadn't seen him raise the guy from the dead that long. Good and dead. You know, he's, you know, don't move that stone, he stinks. In the Greek it says he stinketh. Don't do that. Jesus says, move that stone. Why? Because he understands what he's doing. He's right. We don't always understand and so in the midst of this battle in verse 1 he tells Abram your reward will be great your reward will be great Abram doesn't understand that 
What do you mean my reward will be great? In fact, Abram doesn't really care about the reward. He has, his mind is not on reward at this moment. In fact, let me, let me prove it to you. In the, in the ways of battle, when you go out and you rescue people, there's this thing called the spoils of battle. So what happens is when you conquer and you bring back things, you return everything, but you get to keep anything you receive, the spoils from what you, you got of, of something else, of the other group. Abram didn't care about that. Look back with me at Genesis 14 and, and look at verse 18 and following. Verse 18 says, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out the bread and the wine. Now catch this. He was the priest to God most high. He blessed him and said, Abram is blessed by God most high, the creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has handed over your enemies to you. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. Now catch that. He gets a tenth as the spoil. What did Abram do with that tenth? He just gave it back to God. He gave it back to God. In other words, Abraham signaled he only wanted God. He didn't keep anything for himself. He wasn't, he wasn't worried about a reward. He didn't need a reward. He only wanted a right relationship with God. But in that right relationship, he had hoped for a child. He had longed for a child. And he hadn't got one. Which leads me to the third thing. God is always right. Even when things seem absurd. Even when things seem absurd. Abraham didn't really need a reward. He didn't need money. He wanted the right relationship with God. And he wanted a child. Now let's do a little math here. I'm not very good at it, but I think I can get this math. Abraham is 75 years old when he leaves Haran. God calls him and tells him, I need you to go. 75. In, and in Genesis, that's in chapter 12. In Genesis chapter 13, God promises him a child. Okay? So, 75 is when he leaves. We're, we don't know how long that, that was. You know, it's a chapter but he's 75. In, in chapter 16, 
when Sarah convinces him to have a child with Hagar, he's 86. So, what's the math there? Eleven years. I said I could do it. Eleven years. Eleven years. It's been eleven years since the promise in chapter in chapter sixteen. And we're in fifteen, so historians don't know quite how long we are between fifteen and sixteen. We could be halfway, we could be you know, we could be eight years, we could be, we're not quite sure what our time frame is here. God, I just want a child. Oh, I've promised you a child. It, it's coming. In fact, it won't be through a slave. In fact, go outside and look at the stars. Count the stars. You'll, your offsprings will be that numerous. God, I don't know about you, but if I'm doing the math, i got to get in a hurry, and I'm 86, or, or getting close. You know, my wife's not getting any younger. You know, I keep, I keep reminding some of you, if you look at Abraham and Sarah... You could still be helping the church grow. Seems absurd, doesn't it? But God's always right. Amen? Patience. Anybody want to wait 11 years on God? I think we all will wait 11 years, amen? Nobody really wants to wait 11 years. Listen, I couldn't even wait two minutes on my lunch the other day. It's a difficult thing to do. So what are the lessons from Abraham that we've got to recognize? How do, how do we get there? How, how, do we, how do we, I mean, how do we learn from Abraham? We're, we're talking about running with giants and if, Abraham is a giant, certainly he is. What lessons do we learn from him so that we as people of faith here in Glasgow, Kentucky can have the same faith and run with the same integrity, the same character, the same passion that Abraham did? Well, the first thing is we got to let God be our shield. God's got to be our shield. He's got to be the one who directs our path. He's got to be the one who goes to battle with us, who overcomes Satan, who helps us in our temptations, and he's got to be the one who leads us. He's got to be the one who helps us in that bitterness. He's got to be the shield. And then the second thing is, We've got to start looking up and not down. We've got to look up and not down. 
Listen, when life doesn't go very well for us, what do we do? Golly, I don't know what I'm going to do. We begin to kick the ground, to kick the dust, look down, think, woe is me. What did God do to Abel? He took him outside and he said, look, what? Look up. Look up. Don't look down. Don't look down, woe is me, look up. It might take 11 years. But look up. You never know. But God is always right. So keep looking up. Learned this week, you can close your Bibles, I'm done. I learned this week that uh, Harrison Ford, um, I, I didn't realize this about Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford was struggling as an actor. Almost wasn't going to make it. Uh, George Lucas had uh, put him in a movie, uh, American Graffiti. It had done okay, but probably had ruined his career. They thought it just wasn't going to, he wasn't going to be a, he wasn't going to make it. So Harrison Ford was, uh, did construction on the side. And, you know, to pay the bills, he was just, that's what he was doing. And the director of American Graffiti was Fred Rose. Rose liked Harrison Ford. In fact, uh, he was trying to get him into the, the movie Star Wars. And, and Lucas was like, don't want him. Don't, 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 think he's in it. don't think he's got it. Just got to pass. So Rose had had him do some construction work for him. Decided he was going to hire Harrison Ford to install some doors in the office that... Um, George Lucas was using as a place for, for interviews for, for casting of Star Wars. So Harrison Ford is in there installing doors, putting doors in and watching all these people come in. And George Lucas is letting them read lines and doing all this. And, and nobody's suiting the bill. Finally, Lucas keeps seeing Harrison Ford sitting there. Finally says, all right, come in and read for Han Solo. The rest is history. And you never know. If Lucas doesn't have him read for Han Solo, there might never have been an Indiana Jones. He might never have done um, all the other movies he did. You never know the timing. It was all about being in the right place in the right time. God had a timing aspect. Same way for you and I. God's timing is perfect. We can try all we want to, but God has a plan and a purpose. The response that you and I have to have is by trusting him and saying, would you just be our shield? I trust you. Would you just be my shield? I'll leave the reward up to you. All I want to do is be faithful. 
I'll leave the rest to you, but I just want, I want to be faithful. And in return, would you just lead God? Oh, and by the way, would you give me patience to wait on you? Because your timing is not my timing. And your timing's better. Maybe today that's the prayer you need to pray. Maybe you're here this morning and you need to confess Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. If you need to do that, then it's real simple. It's coming to recognizing that his way's better than your ways. That you're a sinner and lost and going to hell without him. It's by recognizing that Jesus went to a cross for your sins and the sins of the world. If you need to do that this morning, I'll be here. Mike and JJ are right outside those doors. They'd love to pray with you. I'd pray with you. Or maybe you're here this morning and maybe it's a different issue. Maybe you know Christ, but you need patience. Maybe you're dealing with a situation that you need patience. Maybe you're trying to figure out some things in this world. Maybe you're trying to make something happen and you just need patience. Would you just surrender today and say, God, I trust you. You just lead. And would you give me the patience to wait on you? Would you stand with me this morning?